Well, good morning. Welcome again to Randall Church. If you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to begin in the book of Joshua. So if you want to make your way there, the book of Joshua, we're in this sermon series called The Long Story Short. We went last week back to my hometown and had the opportunity to take my kids and drive some of the country roads where uh, I grew up. And so uh, we told them a few stories. I was able to tell them the story of my grandfather who uh, went through school to the eighth grade, the first day of eighth grade. He told the teacher that school wasn't for him and he never came back. He walked home and never came back. And, and that day and that time out in the country as a farmer, that was all he needed. Uh, when I took my kids by the, the old schoolhouse that was uh, where he walked to school, uh, my, my youngest asked, Daddy, why does the school have a garage uh, on it? Um, because the school is just this tiny little house that someone has since updated and put a garage, and it doesn't look anything uh, like a school whatsoever, but I know that that's where my grandfather uh, would walk back and forth to school, uphill both ways in the snow. And so... He would tell us the stories of how uh, he was, at times he would ride his horse to school or how he would, uh, in the winter when the snow was deep, if you walked in the, the sleigh tracks from the, the horse path, uh, that, that would keep you from falling into the deep snow and that was the world that he lived in. And so uh, I never rode my horse to school by any means. I did, however, attend a school uh, that there was rumors that all the kids would drive their tractors to school. This was not true. It just simply wasn't. I grew up on a farm, and uh, I did not ever at any time drive my tractor to school. However, uh, now, uh, since, uh, since I've moved away, that has actually become a thing. There are two or three days a year where all the farm kids get on their tractors and drive them uh, to school so that the rest of us from suburbia can laugh at them. So... Uh, that is a thing that actually happens. If you have any experience with horses whatsoever, if you were riding a horse to school or if you've ever trained a horse or worked with a horse, uh, you know that horses are very, can get spooked very easily. And if you're trying to ride a horse that is spooked, it is incredibly difficult. Whether you're trying to get it to go down a new path that seems dark and menacing or, or a new gate or oftentimes the thing that really kind of scares a horse more than anything else is some type of tarp being over top of something. And if that wind is blowing that or making that flutter at all, the horse absolutely panics. And if you're on a horse that is terrified of a piece of tarp, uh, usually the horse will do one of two things. The horse will freeze and not move and just stare at that thing until that it just freezes. It doesn't actually do anything. Or it will charge it, or it will turn in the other direction and run in the other direction and leave you to fend for yourself uh, there in front of this really scary uh, tarp, if that's what the case would be. And so if you've ever worked with horses, they're just spooked very easily. And so uh, just working with that, a lot of times uh, you can get thrown off of a horse if they get spooked, or you can, if you ever work around horses that are, are, are difficult to work with. At one point in my life, I thought I would be a horse trainer. The reality of things is that I've actually barely been on a horse much since I was 17 or 18 years old, but up to that point, uh, I was on them all the time. So trying to instill a, a, a horse to be able to have courage enough to walk past a tarp is sometimes a difficult thing. The great theologian uh, John Wayne said this, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. 
Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. What we're going to talk about this morning is kind of that concept of being scared to death, that that horse is scared to death of that new trail or that new gate, yet you want to push forward and some will charge forward anyway. We are in this series, The Long Story Short. If you've got that white sheet of paper that's in your bulletin this morning, I want to present this question to you this morning. How do we move from where we are to where God wants us to be when all that we fear stands in the way? How do we move from where we are to where we want to be when all that we fear stands in the way? In this sermon series, we are making our way through Scripture. We are trying to do the best we can. Then in 17 weeks, we are going to cover as much of the story as we possibly can. And we've started at the beginning. And we said, how did it all begin? Or how it all began? And we've talked about creation. And we spent a few weeks there. And then we've moved forward to this part of the series that we're in right now. Act 2, if you will, is this how it all went wrong. And what you'll see is in this how it all went wrong or the fall of the ways that men continue to try to put the pieces together and yet it just seems like they won't fit and it won't work. And the reality is, is it won't until we get to act three of the series, which is talking about uh, redemption and what we see through Jesus Christ and how it all began to turn around. And then we're going to get into the Advent series. And then we get into that series, that's part four of this long story short. And we're actually going to be looking through the book of Revelation. And we'll be asking the questions, how will it never end? And so that's where we're going on the big story here, or the big idea that's being talked about through this sermon series. But as we share this story, I want you to know that this is the greatest story ever told. Because it is the true story of God and the way that he sent his son to pursue after you and me and all of humankind and all that he has done to be able to draw you unto himself. You know, the greatest stories are the true stories. Uh, 1986, the movie Hoosiers came out. I was in kindergarten at the time. Many of you were not, and that's okay. Uh, The movie Hoosiers came out, and it was a movie that we played through the VHS until that tape got so worn out we couldn't play it anymore. We loved that movie in our house. And there's just something about this story of this high school basketball team coming from Nowheresville, Indiana, and making their way to the state championship. This is all built on a true story. Now they've embellished it to some extent for the sake of Hollywood, but it was based on a true story. But do you remember the scene in that movie, in Hoosiers, when they come up to the Indiana State basketball tournament and they walk into that huge coliseum where the games were going to be played. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember how it looked so enormous that all of these kids from Nowersville, Indiana, uh, for the Hickory was the name of the uh, team, as they came in and they look around and it's so large and so huge. Remember what their coach did? Their coach who was playing by Gene Hackman, he walks in to the team the day before the game with a measuring tape. And he carries that measuring tape over and he says, will you measure the distance from the rim to the floor? And it's 10 feet. Will you measure the distance between the foul line and the goal? It's 15 feet. So even though the whole room seems bigger and this 100 times larger than anything you've ever experienced before, what was he trying to teach them? The basics, the fundamentals are still true. 
When we open up the book of Joshua and we start seeing what God is doing with his people as the, the torch is being handed off from Moses to Joshua, we see that they are about to go into the promised land and it is large and the enemy seems formidable and it just seems like there are too many things to be able to go up against. But God is teaching and telling them the same thing. The fundamentals are still true. The basketball goal is still 10 feet off the ground. And that's the opening scenes of this book, and that's where we get. So when we ask this question, how do we move from where we are to where God wants us to be when all that we fear stands in the way? When you look at Joshua chapter 1, we need to understand the context of what's happening here. Moses has handed the torch off to Joshua. Joshua is going to lead God's people into the promised land. He is going to cross the Jordan River and take God's people where Moses was not allowed to take it. But let's not forget why Moses was not allowed to take them into the promised land. Moses had allowed these murmuring people to get under his skin to the point where he sinned before God and was not going to be allowed to go into God's promised land. The stakes were high. God's judgment was real. It was going to keep Moses from going in. It's not for the faint of heart is what God is going to tell Joshua here. He says, you're going to need to take courage. You need to understand, really, the foe that you are up against. You need to understand that if Joshua, if God was reaching out and grabbing Joshua by the lapels and pulling him in close and saying, pay attention here. This is important for you. And the same is important for you and me this morning. So the first lesson that God teaches Joshua is probably not necessarily the first thing that you and I would think about when it comes to courage and taking steps forward. The first point, and this is a fill-in in your bulletin if you're using your bulletin this morning. He tells Joshua to find the honor in surrender. To find the honor in surrender. Joshua chapter 1 Beginning in verse 1, we'll get some of the scene here, and then we'll explain where we're at. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. In verse 3, it's important to note. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. We're going to see that come up again. If you remember the place that that Moses set his foot when God spoke to him, the burning bush experience, we talked about this last week. What did he say? He says, take off your sandals for you are on holy ground. And Moses lay before him, prostrate, in surrender before a holy God. And Joshua, he is having the torch handed off to him. God is is reestablishing that to say, God is God and you are not. And the reality is here that Moses was dead and therefore he was going to have to lead these people and God was going to do great things through him, but only if his first step, the place that he was going to set his feet first, as he promised Moses, was going to be before God himself. 
He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous in this position of surrender. For what? Because I will help you lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to them and that their ancestors gave them. The second lesson God teaches him is this. Joshua, find the courage to obey. Joshua, find the courage to obey. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to what? Obey. Circle that. Underline it. Draw a star next to it. If, if, uh, if you're painting, some of you are painting in your books this morning. I know that Nicole loves to do that. So, so splash paint all over that word. Obey. All the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and you will be successful. Do you see the attention that God is giving Joshua for an understanding of his word and the scriptures? He is saying, I want you to meditate. I want you to eat your meals with it. I want you to know what is going on in my scriptures and what I have shared with Moses and he has written down for you. I want you to know that. I want you to know it inside and out. And in that, you will be what? That will make you strong and courageous. Be courageous enough to be obedient. The people that he was leading were a people who had, as you know, they'd sent the, the troops, they'd sent them in, they had sent the spies in. Remember when Joshua was one of the spies? So they sent 12 spies in and two of them came back. Two of them came back to say, the land, it is incredible, it is immense, it is flowing with milk and honey is how they stated it. And 10 of them said, there are giants, there are enemies, there are cities that we will never conquer. And Joshua and Caleb when they came back, they said, there is nothing here that God cannot take. There is nothing here that God cannot handle. And Joshua was going to be dealing with, in a very similar fashion, sending spies into the land. And they were going to come back, and they were going to give a very similar report. It's really dark and scary out there. And all that we fear stands between us and what God has for us. And as they're about to take these steps, God is telling Joshua... Be courageous enough to be obedient. And he had done it as a young man. Joshua had been willing to be obedient before the Lord. So for 40 years, they had wandered in the wilderness. And he and Caleb were alone, the ones who were going to be allowed to enter the promised land. Why? Because he had been obedient there. And God is returning to that and saying, be obedient. Have the courage to obey. Then, verse 8, you will be prosperous and successful. Then you will be prosperous and successful. When we talk about prosperity and success in our context today, very rarely do we see that in the context of obedience. Being obedient to God, being willing to obey the law that the servant Moses gave him, and in our case, God's word as it has been laid out before us, being obedient to that, that is how we will see prosperity, and success. Third thing that God shares with Joshua says, find the commitment or discover the commitment of the divine. It's a fill-in for you this morning. Find the commitment of the divine. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid. 
Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The commitment is being made here by God himself that wherever he goes, whatever he does, as he is obedient to God's will and God's calling, he will be with him every step of the way. And as silly as that John Wayne quote seems like at the beginning, the courage to know he is terrified. And yet Joshua's going to move forward. He's going to saddle up and keep going forward. Why? Because he is being obedient and knowing that the Lord God will be with him and be with you wherever you go. So what we're going to see this morning, those are the main three points that I want to be able to get to you this morning. Those main three points we push through the rest of Joshua's life and as we push through them in Scripture as well, you're going to see the way that it repeats itself again. So how we move from where we are to where God wants us to be when all that we fear is standing in front of us. Check this out. Look what happens in Jericho, Joshua chapter 5. It should be just a few pages over for you. Joshua chapter 5. The same point rings true. Find the honor in surrender. Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? He's shaking in his boots. He's terrified. He's afraid. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Find the honor in surrender. This is what theologians will call when you find it in Old Testament. Uh, there are examples that it looks like this is Jesus Christ in human form in an Old Testament passage, and it's called a Christophany. And so we find that the reason why we would say that is because look what happens is he bows and lays before this person, this man in reverence. He fell face down to, on the ground in reverence. In almost every example we see when it is an angel that is before someone and they bow before him, the angel immediately responds, no, get up. I do not deserve that. But in this case, we don't see that. In this, this case, we see the commander of the Lord's army reply, take off your sandals for the place you are standing on is holy ground. That should sound very familiar to you, and that is exactly what he told Moses to do. The man who appears before Joshua in chapter 5 makes it clear that he has not come as a lieutenant to, to work for Joshua, to work on his behalf, to help him in his process of taking the land. No, he makes it clear that he is not there to assist Joshua, but he is the general who Joshua will serve in this. He needs to understand, and we need to understand in our lives, it's a point that we need to realize that we tend to assume and see God as this lieutenant who will, who will do some work for us and, and, and help us out and give us some influence and guide us and comfort us and take care of us, help us through tough times, and of course, escort us in the last days to a, a heavenly place, a heavenly rest when we die. If you ever take a walk through a cemetery... You will see scriptures on, on all types of tombstones all through there. And you will see that, that everyone assumes at their death that God is on their side 
fighting for them. That God is working hard for them. And what we see here in Scripture is that a place of surrender is where you must be understand that, that Joshua was facing God and, and this man that he was facing was the general. He was not there to assist Joshua. I've spent a lot of years working with those and, and being a person in recovery myself. And whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Celebrate Recovery, or any other type of 12-step recovery program, the first step is always about surrender. It is always about surrender. My life has become unmanageable and I cannot do anything about it to fix it or repair it on myself. God, I need you. And those who are secular programs, they they at least are going to say, there is a higher power that I need in order for me to get healthy. Now we define that higher power as God on high, God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that place of surrender is where each one of us needs to be. That is not just for those who are working through an alcoholic addiction. No, that is for each and every one of us to understand that we cannot move forward until we understand that we must surrender before a holy God. He is not there to assist you and assist me. He is in charge. And you walk through that cemetery and you see the idea of the scripture on the, on, the, on the tombstone. When you go through stone after stone after stone, it's hard to assume that every person in that graveyard lived a life where they had a prioritized life that was entirely after serving God himself. And that they were surrendered before him. It's because we've got a mixed up understanding of who God is and what our role is. We must surrender before God. Secondly, we learn at Jericho the same, finding the courage to obey. Chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast in the trumpets, have them and the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone will go straight in. Now imagine if you, and some of you have been in this role, I never have, you're the quarterback of the football team, and you huddle everyone up, and you bring them all in, and you bring them in close. He said, on offense, we're not going to run any plays. No, we're going we're to hold hands, and we're going to sing away in a manger. That's kind of what's going on here. You see that? Now for myself... Many of you know I served in the Marine Corps, and I, I always kind of have to put an asterisk next to that because I did not serve overseas. My first training unit was at Little Creek, uh, Virginia. And there's a base there. It's near Norfolk, Virginia. And there are only two types of Marines that are being trained at Little Creek Base. There is the Special Recon- Reconnaissance Marines. We call them the Recon Marines. And then there's the band. So after I got through my first year of training, I played saxophone in the Marine Band. 
And so you're on a Navy base. If you see someone walking around in a Marine uniform at Little Creek, Norfolk, Virginia, if you're there, there's only one of two jobs that that person might have. They are the elite fighting force of the United States Marine Corps, or they are part of the saxophone section of the United States Marine Corps. I need verses like this. Let me, let me point this out to you again. So, verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And then he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Whenever you see the band in Scripture, they actually have to be at the front. That's not that important for you today, but that's pretty important to me. <laughs> Advance, march around the city. And that, what is at the front? The ark of the Lord. Joshua would have to find the courage to obey what seemed like an absurd military strategy. Check out what happens. Jump down to verse 15. This is where we find the commitment of the divine. God is going to respond. God is going to demonstrate himself. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they've done this the first six days, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, the day, on that day they circled the city seven times. And the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, God commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. Fast forward, verse 20. Verse 20. When the trumpet sounded and the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged in and they took the city. The only way that any of this makes sense is if the divine heavenly Father acted and interacted on their behalf. And the people just storm the walls and they take it. And what has happened is that the walls collapse and now there is the crowd, the, the, people, the, the people of Israel who have followed this courageous leader, Joshua, because she's obeyed God. Now they get to pursue in. Now they get to have the excitement of taking over the enemy. They get all of that all because of what God has done. Now, I'm going to show you a video clip to illustrate this point. It is not a direct correlation to the will of God. I want to give that disclaimer ahead of time.
choice there, letting them go, Paul. Well, those goalposts are like, what, $8,000 a piece? December the 24th, 1990, the walls came tumbling down. Was anyone in this room there? It's possible. No, that's all right. That would have been a much better story if somebody was. And what happens is you see, I mean, the ridiculousness, and, I, and watching this video a few times this week, there is literally a guy on the 50-yard line in the background of this video, so go find it later, beating his chest on the center of the field as if he had anything to do with what just happened. You've got this guy in a yellow jumpsuit climbing up onto the thing and pulling it down, and you hear, if you could hear it, the announcers are saying, look, the, the police force is here, and they have all of these horses to keep the people. And then he says, oh, actually, they need, for the very reason I explained to you at the beginning, there's only so many things a horse can take. When you've got 80,000 people coming in, those horses are starting to spook and starting to panic, and they're going to do one thing or another. They're going to run people over or run out of there one way or another. So you've got this guy beating his chest on the 50-yard line. You've got someone dangling from a rope and swinging from who knows what. I don't know if he's trying to climb the back of the, the net there behind the end zone. And the, it, everything is coming down. And that's the scene that we have here when the walls of Jericho come down because the crowd just surges and goes in and had absolutely nothing to do with it. But the joy that was in their hearts, the excitement, the passion that drove them is very similar. Because they were able to experience and be part of that moment because of what God had done. Turn over to Judges, if you will. It's a few pages over. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6, it says this. See, the reality of what's happened is this, this conquest, this taking of the wall, Jericho falling to the ground, it only lasted for a moment. And if you had been there that day in that football stadium, it lasted for a while, a few years. It was only temporary. Judges chapter 2, verse 6 says this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... They went to take possession of the land. Now, this is, they've been at battle for years and taking as much of this land as possible. And he says, now we're not going to be at war anymore. Now go get it. Take it for yourself. Verse 7, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah, Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Verse 10, after that, whole, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, I'm making light of it to some extent with the football analogy. There are a ton of you in this room right now who have no idea 
what a winning Buffalo Bills season feels like or looks like at all. You were never born, never experienced that whatsoever. And that's what they had here. The whole generation gathered up the answers. Another generation grew up and neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Talk about a dud ending. If this was a movie or if this was a television series, imagine the halftime speech that would go with this. It would say, we're down by 10. The other team is bigger. It's faster. It's stronger. There's only 20 minutes left in the game. So just endure so we can get out of here tonight. That's kind of the approach that we see in the end of the book of Joshua. That's what we see with judges and all the judges that follow. That's what we see literally the end of every book of the Old Testament. So now what? We said last week this statement. We said, when it seems like all the pieces are falling apart, don't forget that God is about to put all of those pieces together. We have just a few minutes left here. If you'll turn in over to the New Testament to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to see how Jesus is, is inserted into this story. Luke chapter 22 verse 41. We see Jesus demonstrating the honor in surrender. Jesus demonstrates the honor in surrender. Verse 22 verse 41. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, the other disciples who he asked to pray with him. He knelt down and he prayed. He prayed this prayer of surrender before a holy God. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Do you see the courage that he had called Joshua to is the very thing that he was going to live out when he was here on earth, the, thing, the very thing that stood him between him and the will of the Father, the thing that he was most afraid of. He was going to have to surrender before God himself. Jesus Christ was going to have to surrender before God. Secondly, Jesus demonstrates the courage to obey. So 41, he withdrew a stone's throw beyond me, knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but thine be done. Look at the obedience that Jesus demonstrates. The courage to obey, even though he was afraid of all that stood between him and what God's will was. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Verse, their third point, Jesus demonstrated the commitment of the divine. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Look what happens in verse 3. Immediately following, then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God was going to give him the divine strength to face what he was about to face. And what was he about to face? He was about to face his disciples turning their back on him. He was about to face the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that they were going to come after him. The religious leaders of the day were going to come after him. God himself, the one who had come to rescue and save the world, they were going to come after him. And they were going to turn him over to the Romans. And they were going to put him on a cross and crucify him as a thief. Crucify him as a murderer crucify him as a sex offender. They were going to humiliate him. And it's only through God's supernatural and divine strength and the commitment that God had 
to him that he would be able to endure. It's not a momentary con- conquest. It is the eternal victory. Turn over about two pages in your Bible to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we read this passage. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, wouldn't you know that what's between them and the most wonderful story they could ever tell is their fear. Gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Praise God. And so we see here in Scripture... What we understand with these three themes that kind of continue to show themselves through Scripture and be able to show themselves through all of God's Word. What is the long story short? What is it this morning? Faith is having the courage to let God have control. That's the bottom line. That's the point that you need to remember this morning. Faith is having the courage to let God have control. You see, Christianity is simply a a, a series of small steps. One step at a time, one investment in what God has given you to work with, one at a time. So what is your next step this morning? Our family likes to watch a television show called The Amazing Race. It's in season 29. This has been around for a little while, and we've been watching it for a number of years. And with the power of Netflix, we get to go back now, and I've started on season one, and I'm on episode four. So I've got a ways to go to get through it again. And I've used this illustration before, but it's just stuck in my mind because it just is such a reminder of the reality of what fear can do to us. If you're familiar with the show, they, they kind of race all around the world, and each, each kind of pit stop, they call it, they have this mat with, a, with their logo, and this is where they're going to stop here, and there's going to be one team. It's like the, taking the chair away. There's going to be one team who doesn't have a place, and they're going to be off the show. And so... There's about six teams remaining or maybe five teams remaining. And this is a pretty big one because the next, the next episode, there's only going to be three. They're going to be down to the last three. And so the first three that make it to this mat, they will be the ones that get to go in the final episode and compete for a million dollars. Pretty exciting stuff. And so they were in uh, one of the, I can't remember what the country was where they were at, but there was a pyramid, the kind that have the steps on the side of it that, you know, not the Egyptian pyramids, but the other style. And when they had to, they climbed up the side of the pyramid only to find out when they get to the top that there was this enormous water slide going down the backside of the pyramid. And the red mat was at the bottom of the water slide. This husband and wife team arrived at the top of the water slide before anyone else. They actually had hours of advance on any of the other teams. And the woman was terrified of heights. It was all she could do to get to the top of that pyramid. And now she had to take a step and slide down the backside. And wouldn't you know that she stood paralyzed, afraid to take that step, and never stepped out, never took the risk. And another team came 
and looked at her and jumped and slid down the slide and stood on the mat. And then a second team came and jumped on the slide, slid down and stood on the mat. And this woman's husband was doing all that he could to get his wife to go down to the point where they have the cameras, this reality TV, they got the cameras showing, and all of a sudden one of the camera guys who had been holding the microphone like choke slams the husband who tried to take a run at his own wife and knock her off so she would go sliding down the slide. Husbands, how many of you would do a similar thing? I'm not sure. She let every other team pass. They came in last. They never, they never made it. The husband couldn't take the step for her. The crew couldn't take the step for her. She was going to have to take that step, that leap of faith for her. She was going to have to face her fears herself. So this morning, as the band comes up, Obedience is being willing to risk. Courage is being, being willing to saddle up even though you're afraid. Yes. John Piper says, to be obedient is to risk what you have for the kingdom of God. When you read the book of Acts, the New Testament church is at risk at every moment, everywhere they look, everywhere they turn. Every time they met together, they would be facing the Romans who would be trying to break them up. Every time they traveled together, they would be under persecution. Risking is dangerous, yes, but not risking is even more dangerous. And so whatever it is that God has called you to, whatever the will of God is for your life, and it's not the same for each and every one of us, God has a specific purpose and plan for each one of you. Whatever that plan is, are you willing to take that step? Are you willing to see what's behind the fear that is so much in front of you? Jesus himself is obedient even unto death on the cross because he is in a moment of surrender before a holy God. And he knows that the only way he'll be able to do that is if the divine acts on his behalf. So if you'll pray with me this morning, Lord, I pray that there will be some this morning who will be willing to take that step, take that leap. Lord, is there a new ministry? Is there a new ministry that God has put on your heart this morning that you need to take this step? Are you considering foster care this morning and you need to make that phone call, send that email? Have you been wrestling with adoption and you need to take the steps there, put the, put the money down to be able to begin the process there? Are you unwilling to forgive? You say, no, it's not my turn. They're supposed to call me right now, and then I'll forgive them. Will you make that phone call? Do you know that your marriage is falling apart? Do you know that the steps that you're taking right now, the actions that you're making right now, you will regret the rest of your life? All that you fear stands between you and the will of God. 
Are you willing to prioritize your life to match? Are you running a business and it's so easy to do work on the cheap? It's so easy to cut corners here and there. Will you be a business owner of integrity? God, as we wrestle with these things, the things that we are afraid of, the thing that is staring at us this morning, I pray, Lord, that you will get a hold of people today, just like you got a hold of Joshua. And one of the greatest stories ever written on courage and what it means to take steps to lead your people forward, leadership and courage, and it all begins in surrender and obedience. And so we call out to you this morning. We surrender ourselves before you. Teach us, Lord, how to be obedient. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.